Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Wednesday, October 17th, 2018. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, Google bows to the EU's demands. The biggest thing to happen to GitHub since pull requests. Video game cheaters are getting sued. And Facebook brings back MTV's The Real World. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Responding to that EU antitrust ruling from earlier this year, Google has announced that it is changing the licensing terms for Android, effective October 29th, for devices sold in the EU anyway. Before we dig into what's changing, let's remember how we got here. Google has traditionally made its Android operating system available for free to device makers as long as those device makers did one of two things. Either they bundled in the Google Play Store, plus a variety of key apps including Chrome, Search, and Google Maps, Gmail, and YouTube, or the device makers could bundle none of those apps and just take the operating system, an option that is quite popular in China. The idea behind this bundling strategy is that most device makers in the U.S. and E.U. would simply just go ahead and include everything because users typically want access to those nice Google things. And that's good for Google. Google makes ad revenue from Search and YouTube and Gmail, plus direct sales revenue from the Play Store, and it gets valuable data from Google Maps and Chrome usage. So bundling all these apps helps fund the ongoing development of Android and keeps the software free for device makers. Of course, there have always been prominent device makers that chose the no-bundled-apps route, even in the U.S. Amazon made a fork of Android and called it Fire OS, designed for its Kindle Fire tablets, Fire TV devices, and other gadgets like the gone-too-soon Fire Phone. But after the EU fined Google roughly $5 billion in July for its all-or-nothing bundling practices, Google has now responded with a third option for device makers— Selling products in the EU market, they can make a device using Android and bundle the Play Store and apps like Gmail, Google Maps, and YouTube if the device maker pays a licensing fee. That way, if the device maker chooses, they can add Chrome and Google Search on top of that for free, but it's not required. This seems like a technically correct response to what EU regulators demanded. It removes the required bundling of Chrome and Search, but it's going to create some interesting ripple effects because of the licensing fee for the core app bundle. For instance, let's say you're Samsung. You can now ship a Galaxy device in the EU that has the Play Store and the basic bundle of Google Apps. You pay Google a fee to get that bundle. So to recoup that fee, you leave out Chrome and ship some other web browser, getting the browser maker to pay you for the privilege, perhaps. You also use a different search provider, and again, they pay you. Users can still manually install Chrome and search if they want, though through the Play Store, but getting kickbacks for a third-party browser and search provider might offset whatever fees Google will charge for access to the Play Store. 
Incidentally, Google has not yet announced what the licensing fees will actually be for this stuff, just that there will be fees. This also opens the door for handset makers to make multiple flavors of the same device using different software bundles, something that previously wasn't allowed under Google's licensing terms. And that is also potentially a huge deal. Quoting Jacob Kastronakis and Nilay Patel at The Verge, So if Samsung wants to ship both the regular Galaxy S9 with Google's Play Store and some wackadoo Galaxy phone that runs, say, Amazon's Fire OS, it can now do that in Europe, end quote. So that's what's interesting. What if consumers could pay less for a Galaxy device without any Google apps? That would be bad for Google because they're cut out of the revenue picture entirely. But it's unclear whether it would be good for consumers because they'd end up with a mishmash of apps provided by the highest bidders to the device maker. And that's what much of the online reaction to this has been so far. Here's a roundup of some relevant tweets. Tom Warren, senior editor at The Verge, tweeted, Google makes a lot of revenue from developers that publish apps to its store. Now it wants device makers to pay to access it, too, for devices in the EU. All this does is hurt consumers. Get ready for devices bundled with apps so device makers can get the license fee cost back. Google's new licensing fee for Android in Europe is a clear admission. It's not open source and free. You pay with your data or you pay with a license fee. Google has slowly transformed Android as we know it into proprietary software, end quote. Owen Williams tweeted, Crikey, Google's relenting in Europe. Android is going to cost money and they're stripping out the licenses for Google Search and Chrome. This actually might be really bad for the ecosystem, end quote. And Steven Sanofsky, former head of Windows for Microsoft, had this zinger. This all sounds so familiar. I can't quite put my finger on it. Yesterday, GitHub announced a bunch of new features at its GitHub Universe event. One that particularly caught the eye is called Actions, and GitHub reps liken it to the new shortcuts feature in iOS 12. For developers using GitHub, this is a big deal. GitHub Actions allow developers to package up snippets of code that will run on GitHub when certain actions trigger them. So let's say a developer commits a piece of code to your repository. That can trigger an action to run your automated test suite, then compile and bundle a distribution package if the tests pass. Or let's say somebody uses the urgent tag on a piece of code that can trigger a notification, like a text message through Twilio, alerting relevant developers or support staff. Previously, this kind of let's run some code stuff had to live on a separate server maintained by your DevOps team, and it wasn't proactive. You couldn't trigger build and test cycles so easily. By building this into the core GitHub product, GitHub is positioning itself not just as a repository for code, but as a cloud computing resource for testing that code and even managing deployment. The Actions feature is currently in limited public beta, and GitHub says that it will allow the community to contribute actions just like they commit source code on GitHub today. GitHub head of platform Sam Lambert said actions are, quote, the biggest thing we've done since the pull request. Owen Williams agreed, tweeting, GitHub Actions looks fantastic. The first-party pipeline I've always wanted in almost every engineering org. Full automation after you commit code. Kyle Orland at Ars Technica reports on a pair of lawsuits over video game cheating. 
In the first, Rockstar and Take-Two, the companies behind Grand Theft Auto V, have gotten an Australian court to freeze the assets of five people who allegedly created cheating software called Infamous. Beyond freezing their assets, law enforcement have warrants to search the homes and computers of those five people, one of whom is identified only by the rather embarrassing gamer handle Sphincta. Yes, that name was really used in the legal complaint. At issue is a mod menu provided by the infamous software, allowing users to do all kinds of wild stuff in the world of Grand Theft Auto V, both in offline and, more importantly, online modes. Part of the software allows users to create virtual currency online, which could put the game's microtransaction-based economy at risk. In the second such case, reported on by Ars Technica, Epic Games filed a federal lawsuit in North Carolina against several YouTubers who make videos using Fortnite mods. Epic claims that Brandon Lucas, the primary defendant, uses his YouTube videos to, quote, demonstrate and promote the hacks he sells and to direct those who watch the videos to the websites where he sells them. The complaint also includes this epic line, no pun intended, quote, defendants are cheaters. Nobody likes a cheater and nobody likes playing with cheaters, end quote. So these two cases, while they're just getting started, should get to the heart of a vital question. When is cheating at a game actually illegal and not just annoying? We'll have to watch as the courts sort out the legal issues associated with violating end-user agreements, the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, and so on. But be warned, cheaters, the gaming companies have decided to come for you. Even you, Sphincta. Guys, we don't have to choose between hair growth and our health. Nutrafol's drug-free, whole-body approach promotes hair growth from within. No compromises, just better hair. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement brand with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day. See results in three to six months. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 84% of men showed improvement in their hair after six months taking Nutrafol's men's hair growth supplements. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com men and enter the promo code RIDEHOME. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com slash men, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L dot com slash men, and enter promo code RIDEHOME. We're being sponsored today by a company on a product that longtime listeners know I have used for years and cannot literally cannot live or at least work without it. One Password. One Password combines industry-leading security with award-winning design to bring private, secure, and user-friendly password management to everyone. Companies lose hours every day just from employees forgetting and resetting passwords. A single data breach costs millions of dollars. One Password secures every sign-in to save you time and money, any device, any time. One Password lets you securely switch between iPhone 
smartphone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. One password generates as many strong, unique passwords as you need and securely stores them in an encrypted vault that only you have access to. I started using one password, what, a decade ago? Join me and over 100,000 businesses on board the one password bandwagon. Because right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com slash ride. That's two free weeks at the number one, the word password, all one word, dot com slash ride. Onepassword.com slash ride. Remember that Facebook portal hardware device that Facebook wants you to put in your home for video calls? Well, at the time of the announcement of the portal, Facebook told reporters that no data collected through portal would be used to target users with ads. Of course, a week later, now they're like, JK, JK, of course we're going to use data from Portal to target users with ads. Of course, we're Facebook. Specifically, this is the new line a Facebook spokesperson has given to Kurt Wagner over at Recode. Quote, Portal voice calling is built on the messenger infrastructure, so when you make a video call on Portal, we collect the same types of information i.e. usage data such as length of calls, frequency of calls, that we collect on other messenger-enabled devices. We may use this information to inform the ads we show you across our platforms, end quote. Wagner went on to write at Recode, quote, that isn't what was conveyed when we spoke to Facebook executives at Portal's launch. But in a follow-up call with Rafa Camargo, the product VP in charge of Portal, He apologized for sharing inaccurate info and said that while this data can technically be used for ad targeting, he doesn't know if it will be, end quote. So given that, this news is something. A source is telling Cheddar that Facebook is also building a hybrid video chat slash TV set-top box, which it plans to announce in spring of next year. The device, codenamed Ripley, quote, uses the same core technology as Facebook's recently announced portal video chat device for the home. Aside from Ripley's video chat features, the device could provide Facebook an avenue to compete with the likes of Apple, Roku, and Amazon for attention on TVs. Facebook's own watch video service is included with Portal, and the company has said that it intends to add more streaming services over time, end quote. So a couple things here. First, doesn't it feel like nobody is really steering the Facebook ship at the moment? There hasn't been a single scandal, kerfuffle, news item, or even feature release from the company over the last few months that hasn't seemed muddled, at least in the messaging. One hand just doesn't seem to know what the other hand even knows at Facebook. It's beginning to feel like there are multiple fiefdoms inside the company, and some of them are hawkish, and some are dovish. Some are full speed ahead. Let's continue to be Facebook, damn it. Or maybe everyone important at Facebook is still like that. It's just that some of them have to pretend to be dovish and contrite and understanding on occasion. Second, as the almost universal reaction to this on Twitter suggests, these products are dead on arrival, right? Doesn't Facebook know that? I get that this home assistant slash home portal thingy is a space seemingly everyone in tech feels like they have to be a player in. But still, 
Can't Facebook see that their past missteps might have disqualified them for this particular race? And I know that sucks, but hey, you know, breaking stuff can have consequences. I've heard for years that the key culturally formative moment for Facebook was back when the news feed was launched and everybody rebelled vehemently against it. In David Kirkpatrick's book about Facebook, he quotes Chris Cox as saying that if users didn't want newsfeed, it confounded Mark Zuckerberg's whole theory about what Facebook was. Quote, if newsfeed wasn't right, he felt we shouldn't even be doing Facebook itself, end quote. And it turned out Zuckerberg was right to barge ahead and do it anyway. Newsfeed was absolutely Facebook's killer app. And the users were wrong. Facebook could see that in their own usage data. They could see that no matter how much users professed to hate newsfeed, they actually loved it because they couldn't stop using it. The thesis from people who have pointed to this story over the years is that this was the moment when Facebook's entire product development ethos was formed. We know what's best for users. They may complain at first, but just keep pushing it at them and eventually they'll like it. If a product or feature fits our larger mission for this company as we see it, users be damned. I feel like, though, there's a danger here of Facebook making a classic incumbent's mistake. Sometimes companies discover a way of doing business that works spectacularly well for them, until it doesn't. But after having had so much success with this one trick that they discovered, a lot of companies refuse to give up on that trick, even when the trick suddenly doesn't work anymore. Steve Ballmer inculcated the notion that Microsoft was a platform place so deeply that he came to believe that Microsoft wasn't a software company so much as it was a Windows company, full stop. Ballmer believed in Microsoft's one great trick long after it stopped working. The danger is that if you play your one trick too many times, you become a one-trick pony. Either the powers that be inside Facebook are willfully blind to the fact that their one trick no longer works, or else certain people know that what has always worked for Facebook isn't working anymore, but they don't know how to do things any other way, and so they're flailing. Either way, and given the high-profile powers that be who have jumped ship recently, if you're a Facebook fan, this is very concerning. Facebook either needs the remaining staff inside the company to start thinking differently or they need to get some new blood inside that company that can start thinking differently. And they need to do so probably sooner rather than later. And finally today, in news that is probably very related to the previous segment, MTV's reality show The Real World will return, and it'll be exclusive to Facebook Watch, that tab in your Facebook app that you accidentally hit now and again and get frustrated by. And it's related to the previous segment because it's probably coming soon to the Facebook video devices that we just talked about. Premiering in 2019, three new seasons of The Real World will appear in Facebook Watch, produced specifically for the platform and using social features like the ability to vote on the cast through Facebook. The show will air weekly episodes and have versions localized for the U.S., Mexico, and Thailand. Facebook plans to use features like Facebook Live and Watch Party to promote both the show and those features and will post daily clips from each week's 30-minute episode. And there will be ads, of course. 
Facebook recently added support for reserved buying of pre-roll and mid-roll ads on premium Facebook Watch shows. MTV hopes this will introduce the ultra-long-running show to a newer generation of viewers. Personally, I remember when the show debuted in 1992 on actual television very, very well, back when we had no idea we were engaging with brands to monetize our social graph. Now, get off my lawn, you kids. That's all for today. The show was written by myself and Chris Higgins. You can follow Chris on Twitter at Chris Higgins. You can follow me on Twitter at BrianMCC. And of course, if you were so inclined, you can pre-order my book, How the Internet Happened, which comes out on Tuesday. Talk to you all tomorrow. <laughs>